Welcome to the fourth CMS Pensions Lawcast. Um, today we're going to be talking about RPI and its reform and the implications for pension schemes. I'm Keith Webster and I'm joined today by Kate Freeman and Alex Tomlinson. So we're going to start by looking at a bit of background which Kate's going to talk us through. We're then going to pick up a few of the cases that have happened recently and Alex is going to look at the implications of some of that. Before we come on to look at the proposals for reform of RPI and the implications for schemes and what trustees should be doing about it. But we'll start with Kate bringing us up to speed in terms of the background and why we're talking about RPI today. Thanks very much, Keith. So I'm going to start by taking a brief look at the background. The RPI is widely used to set inflation in many economic arrangements. However, it produces inflation rates which are around 1% higher per year than the inflation rate for CPIH, which is the UK's official current lead measure of inflation. And since 2010, the use of RPI has been increasingly controversial. In that year, the government announced that occupational pension schemes should use CPI rather than RPI as the basis for pensions uprating. But the following year, the government confirmed that the switch to CPI did not apply to schemes where RPI was hard-coded into the rules. This has led to numerous court cases since around the question of whether a particular scheme's rules hard-code RPI increases or not, with the judgments indicating that schemes are subject to what has been described as a drafting lottery. Meanwhile, since the change in 2010 to the way RPI was calculated, statisticians have increasingly criticised the RPI for having serious shortcomings as a measure of inflation. This has led to the consultation on the RPI's future, which was launched in March 2020. I'm now going to pass over to Alex to talk about the case law around RPI. Thanks, Kate. So I'm going to talk about what the case law has told us about the ability for schemes to switch from using RPI to CPI. The first major case of interest was brought in 2012, and that was the Kinetic case. And since then, there have been numerous cases, including five, which have been reported this year. Schemes are very keen to know how the drafting lottery impacts them. Do their rules allow them to make a switch or not? Of the cases we've seen, some have allowed a move away from RPI, whereas others have determined it's not possible to make a change. I'm now going to briefly outline three of the cases from this year. In the Atos case, the main question was whether RPI could still properly be described as the general index of retail prices and whether it was still published. The High Court was clear that the definition in the rules still meant RPI and that it would continue to do so, and that RPI was still published for the purposes of that definition. And this confirmed an earlier case involving the Bernardo's pension scheme. So in the Atos case, no change was permitted. The Carr and Tales case is unique in that unlike other cases on RPI and CPI, the case was brought to the court after the trustees had purported to make a change and following a member complaint to the pensions ombudsman. The other relevant cases have been brought before the trustees or employer had tried to make a change, seeking guidance from the court before taking any action. The relevant scheme rule referred to increasing pensions by the increase in the RPI capped at 5%, as specified in the order under the Pension Schemes Act. The trustees considered two limbs to this rule, 
the first being the percentage increase in the RPI subject to the 5% cap, and the second limb being the reference to the order under legislation that sets out what statutory evaluation should be at a particular time. It's under these orders that the government had decided to switch from using RPI to using CPI. When this particular provision in these scheme rules was drafted, the statutory increases provided under the order were RPI capped at 5%. Therefore, at the time of drafting, limbs one and two were aligned. But over time, as statutory increases have altered and lowered, it's meant that limb one and limb two are no longer the same thing. Now, in this case, the trustees had obtained advice that the wording in the rule only required increases at the minimum rate as set out in the order, i.e. under limb two. However, the High Court disagreed. The court said that the starting point was the natural and ordinary reading of the rule, which the judge considered gave primacy to limb one and not limb two. So the outcome was that the employer was stuck having to provide increases at RPI capped at 5% despite the reference to the statutory order being within the scheme rule. In the Arab case, the High Court considered a scheme rule which provided that if the composition of the index changes or the index is replaced by another similar index, the trustees, after obtaining the actuary's advice, may make such adjustments to any calculations using the index or any replacement index as they consider to be fair and reasonable. Now, in the case, the employers argued that despite RPI still being published, it had been functionally replaced, first by CPI and subsequently by CPIH. The court rejected these arguments and held that there had been no replacement for the purposes of this rule unless the original index, being RPI, was discontinued and another similar index was produced in its place. The court did hold that the change in composition to RPI could in principle extend to any change in its data or methodology, which produced a substantial change in the end result. That, the court said, included changes made to the RPI in 2010 regarding the way price data for clothing and footwear were collected, and also changes made in 2017 to how housing costs data was incorporated into RPI. Now, in terms of timing, the judge commented that in relation to the 2017 changes to RPI, it was not too late in 2020 for the trustees to consider their power to make adjustments to any calculations using the RPI. But changes in composition, such as the 2017 change, could not be a proper justification for the trustees to decide to move completely away from RPI to a totally different index. So the outcome of the case was broadly good news for the employer, as the court agreed that some of the changes made to the composition of RPI did cause the power under the rules to be engaged. But the court's decision prevented a whole scale switch away from RPI, which it said was not permitted. The common theme of the cases is that each of them turns on the exact wording in the scheme's own rules. The broad principles we can learn are that RPI continues to be published and despite the various changes to RPI, it doesn't automatically mean that schemes can move away from using it. Where a change may be possible, the extent of that change is also determined by the exact wording in a scheme's rules. The position remains that schemes are bound by what their rules say 
and there's been nothing from the courts to alter the drafting lottery that exists. I'm now going to pass back to Kate to talk about the current consultation on proposed changes to RPI. Thanks very much, Alex. So, as we've mentioned, for some years now, the RPI has been heavily criticised by statisticians. In 2013, it lost its status as a national statistic, and an independent review in 2015 found that it was not fit for purpose. Last year, the UK Statistics Authority, or UKSA, made some recommendations to the Chancellor about changes to the RPI going forward. As a result, the Chancellor and the UKSA launched a joint consultation, which began in March this year. So what does the consultation cover? Well, it's perhaps best to start by being clear about what it does not cover. Firstly, it is not proposed that the RPI should be abolished. Last year, the UKSA recommended that it should be abolished, but the previous Chancellor said he could not agree to this because RPI is so widely used in the economy. Abolishing it would simply be too disruptive and damaging, he said. The second point that is not up for debate is that changes will be made to the method used to calculate RPI. Under legislation, the UKSA needs the Chancellor's permission to change this method before July 2030. However, after that date, it does not need this consent. It is expected that the UKSA will therefore make the change by July 2030 if it can't do so earlier. The nature of the proposed change is that RPI will be calculated using exactly the same methods and data sources as are used for CPIH. The RPI and CPIH figures will continue to be published separately, but in effect they will be exactly the same in all but name. The figures for the monthly and annual growth rates in RPI will also be the same as for CPIH once the initial transitional period is over. And finally, the supplementary indices to RPI, such as the RPIJ and RPIX, will no longer be published with effect from the date that the RPI changes. So the current consultation therefore focuses solely on the timing of these changes and a few technical details about implementation. So turning to the questions that are asked in the consultation, well, firstly, timing. The government has already said that RPI cannot change before 2025. So the main question being asked by the consultation is whether it should change to align with the CPIH methodology between 2025 and 2030. Under legislation, the Chancellor needs to consider this question in light of the implications for index-linked gilts. The consultation therefore invites views on the impact that the different dates would have, specifically on the index-linked gilt market. This will help the Chancellor to weigh up the net effect on both the public finances and the gilt markets of moving to the new methodology before 2030. On transition and implementation, the consultation also asks some technical questions about how to transition to the new index. The UKSA says that it has considered several options and it invites views on its proposed approach. On the supplementary indices, RPI, J, RPI, X, and so on, as mentioned, these will no longer be published when the RPI changes. The consultation asks which of these indices are currently being used and what guidance users would find useful. 
And then finally, the consultation also invites views about the broader impact of the proposed changes. The Chancellor and the UKSA admit that they don't have full sight of all the ways that RPI is currently used in the economy. So they invite comments on the potentially unintended and diverse impacts of the proposals. However, they make very clear that this is unlikely to be directly relevant to the outcome of this consultation. Rather, they say that responses may be taken into account in future policy making. So what's next for the consultation? Well, it was originally due to close in July 2020, but this has been extended because of COVID-19 to the 21st of August 2020. The government and the UKSA have said that they will respond to the consultation in the autumn. So watch this space. I'm now going to pass back to Keith to talk about what might the future look like for RPI. Thanks, Kate. So we now want to look at what are the implications for pension schemes from the proposed reform, which, as Kate said, is going to happen at some point based on the consultation. And I think good place to start is, is the members. What are the implications for members of this? So for any member who has pension increases or revaluation, which are currently linked to RPI, each year's increase will on average be lower. And so the, the value of their benefits is going to reduce. And the Institute and Faculty of Actuaries estimated that for a 65-year-old, the cut could be in the range of 10 to 15% of the value of the, the total pension. But for members who've got CPI-linked liabilities, there's no impact at all. CPI will carry on as it is. So on the one hand, this is bad news for members who've got RPI. They'll feel quite aggrieved that they're going to get lower benefits if they understand the changes. The alternative view, though, is that those members have had a windfall since 2010 because RPI has an inbuilt overstatement of inflation and therefore they've got more increases than arguably they should have done based on inflation. And whichever view of that you, you take probably depends on whether or not you've got RPI increases. From the employer's perspective, um, the main question is the funding impact, and we'll discuss in a minute how that very much is scheme specific. Those who have a positive funding impact will be quite keen for the change to happen sooner rather than later. And those who have a negative funding impact clearly won't want it to happen before 2030 and ideally not let it happen at all. From the trustees' perspective, um, you will need to consider that funding impact and work out what the implications are for how you run your scheme, with one of the key aspects of trustees being the impact on their investments. So nearly all schemes will hold some level of index-linked gilts or RPI-linked swaps, which will be affected by this change, and trustees will need to work out the implications for their investments. So from a funding perspective, as I say, it's very scheme-specific, and the, the, the two variables are firstly, are your liabilities RPI-linked or CPI-linked? Then the second variable is, have you hedged those liabilities or not? Have you hedged your inflation risk? And because of the nature of hedging, you would have to hedge those using RPI-linked assets because there are no CPI-linked assets. So if you have a case where you've got an RPI-linked liability and you have hedged that, the value of your liabilities will fall because RPI is going to go up by a lower amount in the future. But at the same time, the value of your assets will also have fall, fallen because the return on those assets, which is RPI linked, will also be lower. 
But assuming you're entirely hedged, both of them should fall by the same amount and therefore your overall funding level should not be affected. However, if you've got RPI liabilities and you haven't hedged them, you will actually see a funding improvement because the value of your liabilities will have fallen, but there will be no impact on your assets. So those unhedged RPI liabilities are the winners from, from this process. To the other extreme is if you have CPI liabilities and you have been good at managing your risk and therefore you've hedged them, the value of your liabilities will not change because CPI isn't changing, but the value of your assets will fall because they are RPI linked. Those are the hedging assets you have to use. And so these schemes will see a fall in their funding level and a reduction in their hedging level. So these are the ones coming off worst. And then the fourth category is those who've got CPI liabilities, which they haven't hedged. Here, there shouldn't be any impact on the assets or the liabilities. So there's no funding impact at all. In reality, most schemes will have a mixture of these. They'll have some CPI liabilities, some RPI liabilities, and they will not be fully hedged. So it will be very scheme specific what the total impact is on your funding. So what should trustees be doing about this? Well, firstly, there's the consultation. And as Kate mentioned, it closes now in, in August. So consider whether you want to respond to the consultation. It's important that the government understands the impact of this change on pension schemes and their funding and their members. You may want to look at your assets. Um, this change is going to force through, through a reduction in the value of your assets. Do you have any claims you should look at based on that? If the government had completely abolished RPI, it would be required under gilt terms to make a just and equitable adjustment to the return on those gilts. But because of the way it's making this change by keeping RPI but calculating it differently, that provision isn't triggered. So question whether you might want to look at your, your rights. You might want to look at your scheme rules. Alex talked about the, the lottery and whether there's a, a trigger for being able to change. Does this alter how your rules work? Funding implications clearly going to be important, and particularly if you're coming up to evaluation, think about the, uh, the, the technical provisions assumptions you're making about future inflation increases and work out the funding implications. You'll have to look at your hedging levels. Do they need to be reassessed based on this change? If you've got LDI portfolios in place, do they need to be um, reset to, to reflect this change? And then benefit calculations, particularly things like cash equivalent transfer values and commutation factors, are they potentially too generous now because you have calculated them at the moment based on RPI, but those increases are going to fall in the future. So a number of things to look at as, as a trustee, obviously a number of them you may not take any major steps until we know the outcome of the consultation, which the government, as Kate said, should be announcing by the end of this year. So that was all we wanted to cover today on this topic. If you've got any questions on it, please do email us. The next uh, CMS Pensions Lawcast in two weeks' time is going to look at the Pension Schemes Bill and the DB Funding Code. And all the previous CMS Pensions Lawcasts are available to watch or listen to online. But otherwise, thank you very much for joining us today.